Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your host and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Joe Tata. Dr. Joe is an expert in helping people overcome chronic pain. He wrote a book in it. He works with many patients in this area, and he helps a lot of people with chronic pain. Also in this episode, we speak on things such as leaky gut, overcoming chronic inflammation in the body, and also some daily practices that you can do to increase your overall level of health. Enjoy the show. Thanks for coming on the show with me, Dr. Joe. It's great to be here. I'm so glad to be chatting with you, Dr. Nick. Absolutely. So this is going to be a really interesting topic for us today because um, you specialize in the topics of chronic pain. And I know that there's so many people out there who are um, just living a life that is not the greatest because of the pain that they're facing day in and day out. They've tried a lot of different natural ways to heal themselves and they're still not getting results. So to kick this off, can you just briefly explain to me who you are and what you do? Sure, it's a great place to start. So I have a, um, a clinical doctorate degree in physical therapy. So I, I have a doctorate degree in physical therapy. So we're licensed healthcare practitioners. Um, and in, in the evolution of my, my practice over the course of about 22 years, I've also um, studied nutrition in-depthly. I'm a certified nutritionist as well as I've studied functional medicine um, and did some additional training into the kind of science and neuroscience around what happens um, to those who have chronic pain, both in their body as well as in their brain and nervous system. So I treat patients that have chronic pain, and that can be from a variety of sources, whether it's uh, musculoskeletal pain, so pain in your joints or muscles, um, autoimmune disease, which is a large category of people I see in my practice, and sometimes those who have even a past trauma where, where pain may be the symptom that they're they're working through. Okay, interesting. So, um, you know, the, the whole concept of pain. I mean, nobody likes being in pain. It's a miserable thing. Now, you're, I want to go into the, some of the details now. And what you're saying is that the rule of pain is not necessarily uh, in, in relationship to the actual, let's say if it's joint pain. It might not be the joint itself. It could be in the brain. Am I following you here? Yeah. So, Dr. Nick, it's a great question. I talk about this in my book, Heal Your Pain Now. So, we're learning so much about pain as we advance with with kind of dissecting the brain, look at the brain on a macro level as well as a microscopic level and looking at the neuroscience behind the brain. So let's talk about pain a little bit. So if you get injured, let's say you fall down and you scrape your knee or you sprain an ankle or you break an arm, that's an actual tissue injury. So in some way you've damaged or ruptured tissue or broken tissue. And as you know, your body has a natural ability to heal that tissue, and it's called the inflammatory response. Yes. And there's been a lot spoken about inflammation, uh, but the truth is when you injure yourself, inflammation is necessary. It's a normal physiologic process where your body heals tissue. And that process takes anywhere between 10 days, if you have like a little cut or scrape or boo-boo on your knee, up to, let's say three months, if you have a very bad fracture or a ligament tear, um, you know, the more drastic the injury is, the longer it'll take to heal. But tissue, no matter what tissue it is, heals within about a three month period of time. 
after that healing process is complete, if you still have pain, then we start to look to the brain and nervous system to try to figure out why is the brain in essence creating pain as a warning sign or as what's called a harm alarm or as a sign of protection. So ultimately, we know that pain is a response of the brain. Your brain ultimately is what decides whether or not pain turns on or turns off. But when pain becomes chronic, we look more toward the nervous system or the brain specifically to try to figure out why it's causing pain versus the actual tissues. And, and you know, you and I see this in practice every day where people come in, they have had back pain, let's say, for, you know, 10 or 20 years. But they, the injury they had was was a long, long time ago. You know, maybe they had a football injury in, in college or maybe they picked up something heavy and the tissue itself is healed. But yet, for some reason, they're still having pain. OK. Now, when people are having this issue, uh, you're saying that it takes time. It takes about three months. And after that three-month period, if you're still experiencing that pain, there's a good chance it's not the particular area that's uh, the issue. It's more necessarily in the brain. That's correct because ultimately the brain is what creates pain. So think of – you know, there's a lot of ways we can talk about this, but the – the one category of patient or client, if you look at those who've had an amputation, um, right. let's say below the knee amputation, oftentimes they have something called phantom limb pain. And that's where pain exists even though the, even though the extremity is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking about this the whole time when we are having this conversation. Yeah. So we know that your brain can actually create pain even when a limb is absent. So if you if there's something in your life that's causing this harm alarm to turn on, whether it's stress, whether it's a particular emotion, whether it's um, some type of anxiety in your life, oftentimes your brain will turn on pain as a way to warn you about some impending danger. Now, that, did, that danger doesn't necessarily have to be physical as an phys- actual physical injury. It could be something more emotional or psychological in your life and your brain turns on that pain as a way for it to to create that warning okay so let's let's look at it from this perspective can we get it like a, a sample case I mean I see a lot of people who have incredible back pain um, you know sometimes it's just pain all over their body um, I had a lady who uh, called in today and she had said she had a disc that um, was extremely painful and she knew that she was she was working with a neurologist on it she was looking to heal that and so like when these people come in like what what type of um how do you know how do you know if it's not the particular area or if it's the brain itself well just by the definition of chronic pain is if if pain has persisted beyond that three or four month period of time it turns chronic and then we know to look more toward the brain less toward the tissues now it doesn't mean that you, you should not exercise. It doesn't mean that you may not need mobilization or an adjustment. It just means that's one part of the actual treatment. Now, you brought up uh, a, a disc herniation and you brought up, uh, you know, some were seeing a neurologist and probably had an x-ray or an MRI. And right. that's, an interesting, that's an interesting place to take the conversation, actually, because we know through a lot of research that imaging studies, so what we see on an image, whether it's arthritis or a herniated disc, or even a tear, we're seeing this now in in the knee joint with meniscus tears, that oftentimes those signs of degeneration, those signs of wear and tear, those signs of disc herniations are poorly correlated with someone's symptoms or someone's actual pain. Okay. 
So if we know that the imaging study is not the cause of the pain, then again, we go back to looking toward the nervous system and try to figure out, okay, what is part of this particular person's pain experience that is causing them to have pain? Now, oftentimes the way that a physician could explain an imaging study where they say, oh, you see this big, huge herniation right here? Words like that, language actually can turn on the fight or flight mechanism in your brain. Okay. And, and that fight or flight mechanism can actually cause pain as the output. So oftentimes the way we describe things to patients, both, you know, obviously physical therapists and physicians or both do this, but explaining things to patients in a way that decreases harm and decreases fear can be a really powerful way to decrease that overall pain experience. Because ultimately when fear is turned on in someone, pain oftentimes follows. So the things we do is we try to quiet the pain response, or I'm sorry, we try to quiet the fear response. And as you quiet that fear reaction, oftentimes you'll decrease pain. So a lot of what I do, you know, of course I use exercise and manual therapy, but a lot of what I do is what they call pain science education, which is about explaining to a patient what pain really is and what pain isn't. Because right now most people think if I have pain, that means that something's damaged. And the truth is pain does not mean does not mean you're damaged unless you have an actual physical acute injury. And that's why I went back to that before that if you have an acute injury, you may have pain for three months, but after that three month period of time, that tissue heals and that pain should go away. Okay, so basically there's a really strong psychological component to all this then. Always, yeah, that's what they call the biopsychosocial aspect. So that pain has the biological aspect of it where it's maybe, let's say a joint's not moving or a muscle's not strong enough. But oftentimes there's the psychosocial aspect where what are the things that are included in this person's pain response? So what are their beliefs? What are their emotions? What are their feelings? What are their preconceived notions about pain? Did your did your grandfather have, let's say, uh, you know, lower back pain and, and you think that lower back pain means that you're going to become old and disabled, so to speak. So your beliefs have a lot to do with it. Um, even sometimes even the culture you were brought up in where the beliefs someone has has passed down to you from generation to generation has a lot to do with how you perceive pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I've heard that there's, you know, people who believe that they're going to die of a certain disease and they do, or let's say a, you know, cardiovascular surgeon who works on people who have really poor heart conditions all day and many times will suffer from some of the very same things he works on on a regular basis. So is this along the same psychological uh, um, slash disease type of um, issue here? Similar. So some of what you're talking about is, is what certain uh, scientists talk about, the biology of belief. Um, okay. So that's if you believe that you're, you, for instance, if you have osteoarthritis of your knee, if you believe that you should take it easy and baby your knee, chances are that knee is going to get weaker. Chances are you're going to stop doing activity. Those are called fear avoidance behaviors. And chances are your brain is going to pay more attention to that knee versus the other knee because you're in essence telling yourself subconsciously that there's something wrong with this knee and I have to be very, very cautious of it. Oftentimes when you go to see a physical therapist, let's say, the first thing they're going to do with you is they're going to do exercise. And we know that exercise obviously makes you stronger, makes you more flexible, it balances hormones. But ultimately when you start someone moving, 
and you're increasing weight, you're increasing repetition, and you're increasing endurance, ultimately what you're really doing is you're, you're increasing their confidence. And when you increase their confidence with movement, when they feel like, oh wow, last week I did, you know, whatever, 10 minutes on the bike, and this week I did 20 minutes on the bike, their confidence level goes up. And when confidence goes up, oftentimes that fear goes down, and your brain stops paying attention to that painful or injured body part. Okay, so beyond the psychological aspect of this, um, is there a nutritional aspect to it as well? Sure. I mean, nutrition is is the basis of of all of our health and oftentimes is the basis of our health problems nowadays. For me, the nutrition really comes in very strongly when I'm working with someone who has an autoimmune disease or a patient that, let's say, has metabolic syndrome such as diabetes or, or obesity in and of itself. Um, for those patients, changing their nutrition can oftentimes be the one thing that is the really big needle mover in decreasing their inflammation. And that's typically chronic low-grade inflammation, although with those who have autoimmune disease, that inflammation can obviously go quite high. Um, but you know, nutrition is the first place I go with, with those types of patients. Okay. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that drives me really crazy about, you know, people who come in with chronic pain or seek me out with chronic uh, pain um, is that there's this big, strong push that it is more of a mindset, I should say, over anything is that when you're in chronic pain, um, you go in, you get a whole bunch of painkillers. I mean, it's, it's, it happens to, um, I see it so many times where the persons are in chronic, they're, they're in chronic pain versus actually, you know, addressing the root issue. They get a whole pile of painkillers and they get a steroid pack, um, yeah. or even steroid injections. And, um, it drives me crazy cause I'm like, it, you know, after people get this, they're just like, yeah, I'm better, but you know, really I know nothing's better. And so, you know, there's nobody... I tell people oftentimes that look, there's when you go to the the standard GP, they're not equipped to handle some of these different uh, pain problems that people are facing. Um, I mean, they're equipped as in to give them a steroid pack or a, uh, a pain reliever. However, that's not truly going to fix the issue, and so um, fixing the issue oftentimes needs much more it needs you know anti-inflammatories from a, a, a holistic perspective it needs um, a, a non-inflammatory diet it needs <laughs> it needs physical therapy it, it needs all these different things it needs chiropractic care it needs um, so much more but the one thing it wasn't lacking was steroid packs and yeah. um, and, and painkillers now short term that can be a, a, a solution just to make you feel better. But many times people look at it for both short term and long term and as the only solution. Yeah, what's really interesting about what you said is when I, when I was doing research for my book, Heal Your Pain Now, I came across a study where they surveyed primary care physicians about how, how many hours of pain um, education or pain science that they receive in school. And the average physician, these are medical physicians, um, you know, medical doctors, primary care physicians receive about four hours of education on pain. And the vast majority of education they receive about pain is what pill to prescribe or what medication to prescribe yes. or what, in, what injection to give. And like you said, obviously, if you're in a car accident, primary care and, and emergency care is a wonderful thing for, for pain. But the topic you and I are talking about today and the patients you and I are talking about are, are chronic pain patients. And 
you know, we know through cl clinical practice as well as the National Institute of Health and the CDC brought out statements last year that for chronic pain, things like opioids and non-steroidal non anti-inflammatory medications and surgery and injections don't work for chronic pain. Now, they may have a place, and I tell people, you know, obviously I'm not a sadist and I don't want you to be in pain, but if you have to go on an opioid, it should be the lowest dose for the shortest duration of time and only integrated with other natural strategies strategies to help you heal. And those are things that we're talking about today, like healthy movement and nutrition and even working in some of the brain and pain concepts or stress reduction concepts into, into someone's life. So, you know, it, it's, you know, in our country, we prescribe 80, we consume 80% of the world's opioids, which is enormous. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are a lot of physicians out there that are, are prescribing that. And even, even with the changes that came through last year, I still see physicians prescribing it as, as first line of care. And again, this is up to a physician as far as their prescribing practices and ultimately to the patient if they want to take it. But what really, you know, my platform really kills me the most when I hear that is that, okay, if you and your physician decided an opioid is what you need right now, that's fine and I can honor that. But he should also prescribe, like you said, physical therapy or chiropractic care or nutrition or, or hopefully a combination of all three to help you ultimately heal that pain 100% and to heal it naturally and to get you off the opioid. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, the frustrating thing is that people in most cases are uneducated in the way that they um, go about getting health care because first of all, if you have a primary uh, care physician, typically you trust that person, you know, you've been you've been raised by Go, you've you've went to that doctor your whole life. You've been as you were growing uh, up. You went to that doctor, and now when you have these problems, you go to that doctor again. And in many cases, um, and it's it's just a lack of proper referral in many cases, in my opinion. Because um, once again, I hate to see people who go and they get on um, the opioids. And that is their solution. And I'm like, that's not a solution at all. That's terrible. And like sh like you said, short term, if that's all, what you have to do. Um, but it is not a solution for long-term pain by any means. Yeah, and, and I think the, the take-home message for those listening who may be in the situation or has a, have a family member who, who may wind up in the situation one day is you know, kind of empowering yourself and just saying to your physician, Thank you for thinking about me and I'm going to take the prescription, but ultimately what I would like are options that you have for me on how to heal this naturally without drugs. Do you have any of those options? And you may have to say, do you have a referral to a physical therapist or do you have a referral to a chiropractor or do you have a referral to a nutritionist if obviously you're, you're overweight and you know inflammation could be the, the root cause of your pain. So ultimately it's, it's just creating that forging that relationship with your doctor and saying, thanks for thinking about me and thanks for, you know, caring for me, but I would like for you to help me along the more natural line versus the, let's say, surgical or pharmaceutical line. Right, right. No, it's 100% correct. And it's, if, if people can make these better decisions um, in um, just more or less, and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but think on their own a little bit like that, you know, you got to really take control of your own health. I mean, Dr. Mercola, that's what it's take control of your health. That's their slogan. And I love it because people need to take control of their health today more than ever. Um, so when we get these people who are, uh, having these types of issues, I work very closely with a physical therapist, by the way. And, um, 
you know, one of the things that we do is we work back and forth and we refer, I mean, refer out if necessary. And so when these people come in who have these chronic pain issues, we do the best we can to get them in the right hands. Now, one of the things I want to talk about on this show, though, is um, let's say this person who's experiencing chronic pain right now, what what can they do right now to, um, you know, start healing this issue that is over three months old? What can they do nutritionally? What can they do um, psychologically? What can they do in order to feel better? Yeah, it's a wonderful question, Dr. Nick. So for most patients, I start with nutrition. The reason why I start with nutrition is not only is it the fastest way to decrease your pain, but oftentimes your pain is related to being overweight, obese, or that autoimmune disease. And if I could just give you three quick strategies, if you're listening and you have pain, I would say take out gluten, dairy, and sugar from your diet. So if you just take out those three things from your diet, you'll notice a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic decrease in pain, oftentimes within three to four to five days. And oftentimes those changes in, in, in pain, that decrease in pain that you'll experience, could be even greater than taking an NSAID, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug like Advil or Aleve. And the reason why that works is because you're decreasing inflammation in your body, you're starting the weight loss process, which is awesome. Oftentimes, many patients need weight loss. And oftentimes, those foods in one way or another could be causing what's called leaky gut, and when you have a leaky gut, it causes inflammation throughout your entire body. That's why oftentimes you have back pain and knee pain, or both your hips hurt, or your back hurts, and both your knees hurt, and you know, it's not that you have, it's not that you're riddled with arthritis, it's that you have this inflammation that's persisting throughout your body. So nutritionally, those are the first, that's the first option I give people is to, to eliminate those foods and see how you feel without them. After that, I would say start moving a little bit and that can be anything from a basic walk to seeing a physical therapist to, you know, getting back to the gym if that's where you are. Oftentimes, you know, people with chronic pain, they need to have, you know, a medical exercise program. But sometimes you can get away with going to, let's say, a yoga class or a restorative yoga class, which is probably the, the most gentle, easiest form of yoga. Um, you know, things like Pilates or Feldenkrais, so many different types of movement therapies that um, are, are beneficial for people with pain. And then last but not least is looking at your sleep and stress. And if you can really dial in your sleep, so you're getting about seven hours of sleep a night and you're working to modulate or decrease your stress as much as possible. It's a wonderful thing and can really decrease that fight or flight response and the cortisol response. And once you decrease that response, oftentimes pain starts to decrease as well. So those are those are my top suggestions that people can start to work into their life today. Yeah, no, those are excellent suggestions. You know, I, I work with a lot of patients and when we start t removing these inflammatory foods from the diet, let me tell you, it's a night and day difference. As a matter of fact, many times I will even fast my patients and I even fast on the regular myself. And in just giving your gut that break, you mentioned leaky gut, giving your gut that break, giving your body a chance to heal, I'm telling you, like, you know, even from uh, my own perspective or um, in my personal life or working with patients, you know, when you start taking those things out of your diet or you do a fast, like it's you're you're going to have so many different aches and pains that just start to diminish over time. And they might not go away immediately as in like in a day or two, but they will diminish over time in many cases. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. There's a lot of good research on fasting, especially for those who have autoimmune disease. When you're working with your patients, how long do you typically fast them for? Does that vary amongst patients? Yeah, it does vary amongst patients. I typically like to do four days. Um, you know, clinically, people see best results with four days. Um, now, four days can be a little bit uh, of a tougher fast for some people. Um, just because, you know, we're a society that's so used to grazing all day long, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. we got we got the snacks in the desk, we got the snacks in the car. I mean, it just doesn't stop. So it's it's a it's a really big mental thing for people to go that long. But um, you know, if if you want to do um, uh, fasting. I don't necessarily recommend you go jump into a four-day because I suggest that you have somebody monitoring you if you're going to go out to, through a four-day fast. You're working with a, a doctor who does um, fasting. Um, but what I would suggest is uh, that you start with like a 24-hour fast. There's, that's you know pretty simple to do. Um, and uh, of, of course, if you have some serious health concerns of any sort, you should um, consult with your doctor before doing that. But 24-hour um, fast, um, I mean, that's really easy. I do that all the time. Um, I like to do a 24-hour fast actually on a weekly basis anymore. And when I am doing that 24-hour fast, it's just nothing but uh, good pure water. And so I love fasting. We're actually going to launch a fasting or a, a gut health and fasting type of program here uh, next month. And um, but you know, to the topic of pain, it it just helps so much. Yeah, it it does. And I I, I love that you brought up the topic of fasting with with my patients. Oftentimes what I start them on is a minimum of 14-hour fast, and that type, that type of fast usually happens overnight. So I ask them to stop eating typically around 5 at night. So they can have breakfast, they can have lunch, and then maybe a snack, let's say, in the afternoon. But by 5 o'clock, they stop eating. And then there's nothing and no food from, let's say, 5 in the evening to you know usually 9 or 10, let's say, the next day. And that that kind of mini fast each day alone can sometimes help reset – some of their, you know, broken metabolism overnight. Right. So that's referred to as intermittent fasting, right? Yep. That's, that's what you're right. referring to. Okay. So if you do that intermittent fasting, actually, that's probably a better place to even start before you even think about a 24-hour fast. Work on that intermittent fasting where you're where you're not eating for, um, or let's say you're eating all your meals in an eight-hour period, um, because that would be a better place to start than even jumping into a 24-hour fast. Yeah, and some patients, you know, are really excited and start it um, quite easily. And other patients, you know, they need a little bit of help as to how to kind of ease into it and, and why it's important for their, you know, physiology. Okay, absolutely. I agree um, 100%. You don't want to uh, – some people are really hardcore. They like to just go all in and, <laughs> and then, you know, I try to slow those people down a little bit because sometimes they also crash. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you as well is – are there particular anti-inflammatory um, herbal uh, supplements or just things that people might even have at home in their um, kitchen that they can use in order to help with pain? Yeah, there's a number of things. I mean, I think one of the for, – for those who have a leaky gut, oftentimes um, I really advise them to use a lot of oregano in their in their food. And that can obviously be dried oregano or fresh oregano, but it's really great – for killing any of the quote unquote bad bugs that might be in your gut and for uh, you know rebalancing some of the microbiome. And yep. when you do that naturally and you start to rebalance the microbiome, oftentimes inflammation and pain decreases. 
Um, you know, things on, on your kitchen shelf, you might also have some turmeric or some ginger. Those work great in recipes. You can also take those in supplement forms. And another big one that I point people in the direction of are omega-3 fatty acids. And I really am a big advocate of adding more fish into the diet. Some people are a little bit scared of it because of uh, mercury and things like that. But oftentimes, if you can get the healthy omega-3s into the diet through the fattier types of fish, people feel better right away. Now, if you don't like fish or you don't want to eat fish, let's say three or four times a week, then you can take that as a supplement. And I recommend 2,000 milligrams, anywhere between two to 4,000 milligrams of a good quality fish oil um, on a daily basis. And the same with turmeric, you can take that in, in a capsule form as well. Uh, and same thing, about 2,000 milligrams a day. So oftentimes people will do a combination. They'll take supplement form as well as start to work them into their, their recipes and their meal plans throughout the week. Great, great advice. Now, are there particular supplements that you recommend for every person to take every day, as in just the basic essentials of life? I do. There's usually about five that I recommend to most people. So it's a good quality multivitamin. Okay. 2000, 2000 IUs of vitamin D, because most of us are low in vitamin D. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, sometimes people often need 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, but starting at 2,000 is a good place to start. Um, 1,000 milligrams of fish oil, the curcumin supplement, which I recommended before, is is another one as well. So those are the four that I typically um, give people for everyday life. And then, of course, a probiotic because oftentimes people have gut issues or leaky gut or some type of, type of IBS. And once you, once you balance out your microbiome, many, many things change. Everything from your joint pain to, to weight to autoimmune disease to skin problems to um, your brain health and your, your brain fog, all that tends to get better. Absolutely. I think that's uh, great advice. As a matter of fact, actually on the news today, uh, which I'm not not a big proponent of listening to the news, but I did on the way in here today. And um, they were actually saying that um, uh, uh, millennials have a much, much higher risk of colon cancer um, than our parents ever did. And um, so once again, when we were you know, discussing some of these gut issues that, um, that uh, we're talking about here, uh, it's very important to think about how this is important to you if you're a millennial because um, they just came out with research stating that uh, colon cancer is one of the major uh, issues for millennials uh, in their future. So, Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, it makes me think, of course, about their diet. Um, it makes me think about toxicity that could be in the environment that you know they are exposed to that, let's say, their parents weren't. And even even makes me think about things like stress and and lack of movement, you know, as you as you exercise, it actually helps your bowel function, helps blood flow to your bowel, helps your bowels move better, helps you detoxify. So, you know, eventually all these things start to point back to the same cause after a while. Exactly. You know, and when we that's why I asked you, what are your your you know, your basic essentials of life? Because people need to be taking these things. Um, you know, I oftentimes find a lot of people who aren't taking any type of supplementation. And I tell you, I do a lot of nutritional testing on people, and I find that they have that most people in in most cases have a lot of deficiencies. And I've even tested myself. I have a great diet, have for years. I still have deficiencies. So, um, unless your diet is more perfect than mine and <laughs> and just absolutely on point, um, 
I would highly recommend that you're taking these basic essentials of life because um, it's just your, your your body requires them. You need them, and and more than ever today, we're just not getting the nutrients in our food like we used to. So, I think that's a great advice, Doctor Tata. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent I think that patients tend to. I think once they see the test, ultimately, it, it, it's a good way to educate them about what they're missing out on. And then they say, wow, I had no idea that not only did the food I eat is not sufficient or could be inflammatory, but that our food and the food that are, is oftentimes grown is deficient in many, you know, vitamins and minerals that should be there that just quite aren't because of our farming practices. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go, is there any last recommendations that you have in order to help people fight chronic pain? Uh, the one recommendation they can do is they can go to, I have a great quiz. It's called The Pain Quiz. So it's www.thepainquiz.com. And when you take this quiz, you'll find out what the root cause of your pain is and what you can do to help it. Well, thank you. And um, I hope that everybody utilizes that if you're in pain. Um, Dr. Tata is a great resource. And is there a way that people can get a hold of you if they would like to speak with you further about their chronic pain issue? Sure. You can reach out to me on my website at drjoetata.com. That's D-R-J-O-E-T-A-T-T-A.com. And then each week you can catch me on the Healing Pain Podcast. It's a podcast that I put out on a weekly basis about natural strategies for healing from chronic pain. Dr. Tata, pleasure having you on the show with us today. And thank you for being a resource to our listeners. Thanks, Dr. Nick. Great to be here with you. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. Until next time, have an outstanding day.